We're going to be in uh, John chapter 1 this morning, if you'd like to turn there in your Bibles. about you, but there have certainly been times in my life where certain circumstances seemed like there was just no way out. There have been people I've met in my life or people that I had a relationship with and then that relationship was broken and I thought, that's never going to get fixed, that's never going to be healed just because of where I am and what I'm looking for and what I'm trying to do is so different from what they're trying to do. And and maybe you've known people or maybe you've been the person that it seems like everyone around you and maybe you believe it as well, that that your past, your history, your upbringing, your family, it it removes your ability to have the life that you're told God has planned for you. And perhaps you or someone you know believes that the circumstances in which you were raised or the trauma that you endured that still affects you today means you're not eligible for that wonderful, perfect life that so many other people maybe seem to have. It's easy to come to church on Sunday and the building is nice and clean and put in order and we all wake up and we put on our church clothes and come in and our lives at home can seem so messy and dirty and unfit to be here, which then makes us feel that we are unfit to be here. It often seems like our past is something that we can never, we can run from it, but we never, we never quite escape it. Our passage today, it's, uh, it's one of my favorites, especially given our church. It's really interesting. We were, uh, so we, we had planned to start all of our new Sunday school classes last week and then, um, it was really snowy, and so only a few of us were here, and so obviously we didn't we didn't start those. But um, it's interesting because the the passage I'm about to read it's again it's just the lectionary reading for this week. I didn't pick it. I just I look up the lectionary readings. I see what the couple of readings are for the week. I pick one of the two. That's what I preach on. That's the passage. This is the verse for this week. But what's interesting is. If it hadn't snowed last week, and if we had all been here, and if, and if, um, you know, all hundreds and hundreds of people that were so excited to go to the class that I'm teaching had showed up, thank you. Uh, you come into that class, everybody's going to receive a binder with the name of the class on the front and just all the information that you need. But the first page, when you open up that binder. It 
it's, somebody's phone's ringing, but it sounded like worship music, so I thought we were starting to sing something again. Sorry, I didn't mean to call you out. If you, if you come to the class and you open your binder, the, the very first page, the first thing that you see within that is a verse from our passage today, because I think it's the most important thing you need to know about what the Church of the Nazarene stands for. So the good news is, first of all, the class is going to be just a little bit shorter today because I'm getting some of it out of the way now. Thank you for not saying amen. And also, everybody gets to, uh, gets to hear kind of the first part of that, what it means to be a part of our church, a church of the Nazarene, um, and walk through that together. Well, we're going to start in uh, John 1, verse 43, and uh, we'll see if you can pick out the verse. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit, which means he was being honest about the thing about Nazareth. Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. There's a lot there. It's a great passage. Um, The the whole interchange between between Nathaniel and Jesus I've always found fascinating and kind of hard to figure out. Uh, I love, if you haven't seen all of the episodes of The Chosen, The Chosen does a wonderful job with this passage, and they give not necessarily the truth, but they give a, a picture of what might have happened that would make Jesus saying that he saw Nathaniel under the fig tree so profound in, in Nathaniel's life. I encourage you to go check that out. We're not going to do that today, though. Where we're going to stop today, if you haven't already guessed, is verse 46. Nathaniel said to his good friend, who just told him that he found the Messiah, can anything good come out of Nazareth? This is the hometown. This is where Jesus grew up, and this is the reputation that it has. Nazareth was a small town, and we have, we have small towns. I grew up in a small town. I actually, I grew up in a small town that was a lot like Nazareth in that it had a pretty bad reputation. Uh, the town I grew up in was a, uh, it was a booming granite town uh, around the turn of the century. Most of our buildings, uh, and we, we shopped for houses, almost every house in the town was built between 1900 and 1910, and then they just all kind of went downhill from 1910 and weren't well taken care of. Uh, the granite boom ended, the town got really poor, there were some very questionable businesses in town. Uh, I grew up in one of these sorts of towns. 
But even as someone who grew up in a small town that had a bad reputation, I, uh, I don't think even I fully grasped what it meant that Jesus was from Nazareth. Uh, and, and poverty today especially, and especially here in America, looks so different from poverty back then. Nazareth was a really, really small town. I read an interesting description of it, and uh, there's a book I read uh, a couple years ago. It was called uh, 30 AD. It's about uh, this queen from Arabia that ends up traveling to Israel to meet with Herod, and along, along the way she comes face to face with Jesus. And at one point in the book, uh, her and her companions, some of whom are Jewish, uh, arrive in Nazareth trying to find information about Jesus so they can go see him. And they note that it's this just small town. It's just one street, maybe one or 200 people living in it. Um, that, was, that was something that really struck me that I never really thought about. Um, and it doesn't say in the Bible, but Towns back then were smaller. The cities were smaller. The villages were smaller. And for a town to be considered as small as Nazareth, then yeah, it probably only had a couple hundred people in it. Now, my small town that I, I don't know, how many people grew up in a small town? How many people would say that? First of all, what is your definition of a small town? Shout out some numbers. How many people were in your town growing up? Nine? Oh, okay, we got some some real small towns around here what else 120 there we go that's a small town yeah my wife is from the suburbs of chicago so for her a small town was like 10,000 people yeah and i was like the the biggest city in vermont is 15,000 people but we've got some small ones in here now now my hometown that i that i spent most of my time in was a town of about 3500 people and i know how much in a town of 3500 people everybody knew everybody else right and there were some people that lived on back roads that kept themselves but as far as growing up everybody knew everybody my parents knew just about every kid in my school or knew their family at the very least. And even with 3,500 people, we all knew each other. A town of one to 200, I, even I have a hard time imagining how intimate and close that was. Which, even beyond the sermon today, we think about when Jesus goes and preaches in his hometown, it changes what what that looks like, right? This is this tiny little town. Uh, then this book, eventually the woman ends up in uh, Jesus's home talking to Mary. And, uh, and again, this is a fictional book, but it's one that was, you know, well-researched. I'm not saying this is gospel, but just to give us some kind of a picture of what kind of environment Jesus grew up in. Let me read. I glanced around the humble room, lights filtered in from small windows near the thatched reed ceiling, Two oil lamps on the mud walls produced flames that filled the room with the scent of olive oil. Mats covered the dirt floor. A passage to my left with only a sheet for a door led, it led into what must be the sleeping room. Several large earthen vessels sat in the corner, presumably holding wheat to be ground by hand. And it was by all accounting a poor home. Talks elsewhere about how the houses in, in this village were put together with with walls made of just mud and wheat and 
dung and the filth in the street and animals living in the houses. And, and that was normal poverty back then. And that was the town that Jesus grew up in. And it wasn't just a poor town because, I mean, there was poverty everywhere in, in Israel in those days with the taxes from Rome and the oppression by Caesar. It was, I mean, everyone was poor, everyone was hurting, everyone was struggling to make ends meet. And so for this town to have a bad reputation, even among all of the poverty of Israel, was really saying something. Now, Nathaniel lived in, in um, Bethsaida. And if you look at the map, from Bethsaida to Nazareth is about the same distance as it is from here at our church to Manchester. If you can picture that distance uh, by foot, that's about how far it was. In the grand scheme of Israel, they were still fairly close to each other, um, but not right next door. As I thought about it, I realized that it's probably about the distance that it was close enough that people from Bethsaida had heard of it and heard about it and heard about the reputation of it, but far enough that they probably never went there. It wasn't on any of the major routes into Jerusalem. It wasn't somewhere they would have passed through. So it was probably the town that was close enough to have a bad reputation and people talked about it, but not many people had actually set foot in it. It was just the town with the bad reputation from that part of Israel. And as he often does, God chooses the plan that strategically makes the least amount of sense, right? First impressions are very important. And if you're presenting yourself to another person, whether it's in, in ministry, as the case was here, or, um, or whether it was... Uh, you know, I, I have a sales background and we talk in, I used to do sales training. I'd train sales reps and, uh, and, and you talk about that a lot. The first impression is important. If you make a good first impression, then everything else is a whole lot easier. If you make a bad first impression, you're going to have to work 10 times as hard to win somebody over. And so for Jesus, for his first impression to be that he's from Nazareth, really sets him way behind. He's got to make a lot of good impressions after that just to get back up to zero, right? Strategically, it's a bad way to present himself. And what else is absurd is that he doesn't have to tell people, right? Like you'd, you'd think he can, maybe when he sees somebody running off to invite their friend, yell out, just like, don't lead with that, I'm from Nazareth. Let them meet me first, and then we'll tell them where I'm from. But he doesn't even seem to hide it or run from it. And luckily, Philip's enthusiasm is enough that Nathaniel is willing to leave what he is doing and follow his friend to see Jesus. Now, of course, when he gets to Jesus... Jesus has no, no issue overcoming the hesitation that Philip had. The degree to which Philip had less respect for Jesus because he was from Nazareth is more, far and above, overcome when he, is, when he just comes face to face with who Jesus is. 
The bad reputation of Nazareth is no match for the goodness, the wisdom, the insight that Jesus had, the power with which he walked. But Jesus was from Nazareth. Growing up poor and growing up in poverty is not an easy way to grow up. But that's the way he chose to grow up. That's where God placed his son. Now we're officially out of the Christmas season at this point, but it's still fresh enough in our minds to remember that that God was intentional about where and when and how he sent his son to redeem and to save us. There weren't accidents in that plan. There are a lot of things that we can say about Jesus. There are a lot of really amazing characteristics, amazing things that he did, aspects of his nature, with which we as a church could choose to align ourselves. He is a healer. He is a prophet. He's a leader. He's a savior. He is a messiah. And all of those things strategically would have been far better names for a church. From a marketing perspective, Church of the Messiah, Church of the Healer, even the simple Church of God, all of those present a whole lot better. But when our church was formed over a hundred years ago, I'm so thankful that our our forefathers and mothers chose to associate us with the most despicable, with the least impressive, most embarrassing quality of our Savior. Because Jesus grew up in a town like Nazareth So that there wouldn't be a person that he attempted to save that had a worse start to their life than he did. So there wouldn't be someone that he he came to save that grew up poorer than he did. Who understood poverty, who understood what it meant to not have enough food at the end of the day than he did. And it was that aspect of our savior that we as the Nazarene church chose to identify ourselves with first and publicly. So the message is this, it doesn't matter how dark your past is. It doesn't matter the poverty that you grew up in. And Jesus had loving parents but he endured his more than his fair share of betrayal 
and pain throughout his life. It's so easy to look at ourselves and say, good people don't come from histories like mine. Good people don't come from towns like the town I grew up in or homes like the one I grew up in. You may feel like because of the way I grew up or my history or the choices that I've made as an adult, I can't come anywhere near the Savior. He's the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He's enthroned in heaven. How can I possibly invite him into the mess in the filth of my life? And the answer is you can invite him into the mess and filth of your life because you know that he was born into something similar, something relatable. And we as a church, as we approach him ourselves, we understand that about him, we develop a relationship with him, we must be constantly reminded that who we are as a church is meant to reach the least, meant to reach the poorest, the broken. That is why we exist. And there's a lot to say about what that looks like and how that works and Those are things that we'll discuss in a different venue. But we must always be a church where the poor are not only welcomed in our words, but made to feel comfortable and at home. We must always be a church that remembers where we started and where our Savior started. I think it's great and it's good to take pride in what God has has given us, to take good stewardship of what God has given us. It's better language. It's good to do a great job cleaning and caring for our buildings and making th- sure things are nice and things aren't broken, but we make sure things are comfortable in our building, not to make the rich people comfortable, but to give the poor people a break. We don't have anything we have that is nice, that is of quality. It's not to make the wealthy feel more at home, but to give the poor an opportunity to have ownership of that. Have a warm building with plenty of food if that's the only place they get it. And then, side note, we better also do something to make sure it's not the only place and the only time. But that's another sermon. We are the church of the Nazarene. We are the church that follows the guy from the dumpy town with the bad reputation. It would be embarrassing if we didn't know how good he was. It would be embarrassing to be a Nazarene if we didn't know how good he was. 
and how much he loves, how much he cares, how much his power transforms from the greatest to the least. I think that's the most important thing to know about our church. I think it's it's a fundamental starting point. to who we are. We are a humble church that follows a humble Savior just trying to reach a broken world. So whatever your mess is, whatever the stench is from your past that you feel you carry with you, he's not offended by it. He probably doesn't even notice it. But he does want to heal you. And that's what we do together as a church. Sometimes in moments when we come and pray at the altar or in our seats, sometimes in moments when we gather for prayer with others, but sometimes just through a lifetime of walking together, trying to be more like him. Week after week after week, a few steps closer to Jesus. That's what we're about. Let's pray. Jesus, as I look around this building, it's so easy to think about the types of people that might walk through our doors and and what might make them comfortable or uncomfortable. But Jesus, when I think about where and how you grew up, I'm confronted with all of these other things that might make you uncomfortable. Do we sometimes focus too much on the wrong things or focus too much on the right things for the wrong reasons? Father, I pray first this morning that we would be a church that would be welcoming to you if you happen to walk through our doors. Not as the, we expect you to walk through as the conquering king, but Lord, if you walked in at the age of 25 pre-ministry, if you walked in at the age, age of 10, dirty little barefoot kid that was used to being able to run into any building that he wanted because he was he knew everybody who had maybe what we would call poor social boundaries would we be as welcoming then let us learn to be a church that would welcome you And as we do that, allow that to transform us and help us to grow more and more into a church that is welcoming to all. Not just a church that tells people what they want to hear, not just a church that's surface level nice and smiley and happy, but a church that deeply and truly welcomes all who seek refuge in you.
church that is loving and kind and compassionate, genuine in our love for others. I pray that we would live and preach this sermon well. I pray also, Lord, on the days that we need to hear it, we are reminded that we are never too far gone for your love and your compassion, that we are never too broken, that we are never too we are never too much of a mess. You're never overwhelmed. You're never surprised. You're never shocked. You're never offended by our messes, Lord. I pray that we don't run away from asking for help because we're ashamed to come before you, but let us come before you in our mess and in our brokenness and say, Jesus, I know you get it. Lord, can you help to pull me out of this? Dust me off, clean me up. Help me to find healing, Lord. Jesus, may we be like you in all that we do. We love you, Lord, and we ask these things in your name.